0: The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Matthew chapter 3 this morning. Matthew chapter 3 as we continue our study uh, through the gospel of the book of Matthew. The life of Jesus recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but through the eyes of one of his disciples, Matthew. Uh, I... Get up early on Sunday mornings and put the finishing touches upon the, the message that I am studying for to deliver as I, I did this morning. And as I, I did that this morning and in, in studying, reviewing it, God just impressed upon my heart the weight, the, the privilege even of what it is to speak this morning on a message like we're going to be looking to. Um, Just the reality that this morning could be a morning that one of you go from a place of being lost, a place of being eternally condemned before God, on your way to hell. Walking in this morning not knowing who Jesus is. Not knowing about the love of God. Not knowing about what Jesus did for you at Calvary. You, You come in this morning lost and your sin, dead in your sin and your trespasses. And and because of what we do this morning in our singing and our praying through especially the proclamation of the gospel of God's word, you can go from a place of being dead and lost to a place of being alive and saved. Your eternal destination can go from damnation and hell... The glory of heaven and the forgiveness and redemption that only comes through what we're about to look to this morning, and and God encouraged my heart and my soul this morning by that very thought. This morning could be a morning that a lost sinner gets saved, that a that a person condemned eternally to hell has their eternity altered through our gathering, through our singing, through the preaching of His Word, and so I do ask. Give me your attention for just a few minutes, Uh, just a a short time that we have together to look to God's Word. And pray even as a believer, pray God would speak to your heart, but especially if you're here and you're an unbeliever, pray God open my eyes to truly see your truth. And if you're a believer, I pray uh, that you would pray uh, for that person that may be here that doesn't know Quite fully yet, who Jesus is? They've never come to a place of repentance and belief upon Him. Pray even now in your heart, privately. God, would you would you work in their heart through your Spirit, through your Word, that this morning might be a morning that one who is lost becomes found. We're going to look to a passage that's easy to read through and not give much thought to as you're reading through the Gospel. Um, Many read it in such a way. They they read through it quickly and they never dwell on it at all. Others spend time thinking it through, meditating upon it, only to lead them to a bit of confusion as we think about the baptism of Jesus. And if you're confused by the baptism of Jesus, why did Jesus have to be baptized? Uh, You're in good company with John the Baptist, who he himself was a little bit confused at this command of Jesus for John, who is... Baptizing sinners with his baptism of repentance to baptize the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord Jesus. I want us to read all of chapter 3 in order to gain the context of Jesus coming on the scene and, and, and commanding of John to, to baptize him. John, uh, Matthew chapter 3, rather, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read all of the chapter, but we're really going to focus on verses 13 through 17 this morning. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him, in the Jordan, confessing their sins. If you were here last week, or two weeks ago rather, when we looked at this passage, you would hopefully recall that baptism by immersion was not a common practice to the Jews. It was usually only reserved for a Gentile who was coming into the people of God and his... his worship of the lord who, who would be uh, completely cleansed in that picture of baptism entering into the the people of god by faith in the promises of god though he wasn't an ethnic descendant of abraham and so for a jew to be baptized would be a little bit of a of a disgrace of a, a shame in admitting we are outsiders who need to become insiders once again and so john the baptist was called to a peculiar ministry of baptizing Sinners of the household of God who had strayed and rebelled against God as they repented their sins and confessed them. A picture of that publicly was John's baptism. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism... Those were the religious elite and really the political wealthy elite, the liberals of the day and the Pharisees of the day, the, the legalists of the day. He, he said saw them because of the great crowd that was coming out to be baptized by John. They came to see what the, the show was about. He says to them, "'Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now, do not think to say to yourself, "'We have Abraham as our father.'" For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptized you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Speaking of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his weed into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So he has this strong message of, of judgment upon the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those who were claiming to their works and their heritage and their status as a, a means of pretending they were right with God and in need of no repentance. It is this hellfire and brimstone message of judgment that, that John has delivered. And then in verse 13, then Jesus, the one of whom he's speaking, who he is not worthy even to latch his sandals. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John, at the Jordan, to be baptized by him. Now, if you're reading this for the first time, all of us are so familiar with it for the most part, it doesn't shock us because we know it, but that ought to shock us. We ought to be thinking, why in the world would the Christ, the Messiah, Need to be baptized by John, his forerunner, who is not even worthy to latch his sandals, a baptism of repentance. Why? What in the world? Verse 14. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. It's a very strong Greek word that's used there. He commanded him, baptize me now. For thus, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Why was Jesus baptized? What was he doing? What do we learn? What is God teaching us and teaching even them then and there, us now through the recorded record of it? Well, what is God proclaiming about this person, Jesus, through this baptism of John. I want to sum it up briefly and simply. In one statement, two parts. First, through this baptism it is being declared that Jesus is the sinless Son of God. You say, how do you figure if this is a baptism of sinners unto repentance, how is Jesus is being baptized? A, A proclamation, a declaration that He is the sinless Son of God. Notice we first see it in John's John's reaction to the request of Jesus to be baptized. John is the forerunner, the proclaimer of the coming of the Messiah. He had this message, repent kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is fixing to come on the scene and he's going to work the redemptive promises of God that have been promised from many ages past that the Messiah would would do for the people of God to restore the people of God. John didn't understand it all, but he was given this ministry of of proclaiming this message of repentance and this baptism that was a proclamation, a sign of that message of one who had repented. And so when The Sadducees and Pharisees came and their hypocrisy. He had a harsh word for them and he rebuked them because they weren't worthy of this baptism because there was no genuine repentance of sin had and found in their heart. When the sinners who were the worst of sinners, as as many around who came out likely were from the towns and cities that traveled a great distance to be baptized by John, John didn't deny them. They repented. They confessed their sins, and then they were were baptized. Many, many, many people being baptized is a, 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 a picture of their heart turning in repentance to God, of their identity even with the proclamation, the message of John. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and says, John, you need to baptize me, John rightly knew who Jesus was. John knew from birth, even in his mother's womb, by a sovereign revelation of God who Jesus was as the Christ, as the Son of God, as the Messiah who was sinless. And so John is rightly appalled at the thought. and He says to Jesus, I I am not the one to baptize you. You're the greater. You're actually the sinless Son of God. You're the one who ought to To baptize me. And it's not until John is rebuked and commanded very strongly. No, John, you must do this. You must baptize me to fulfill all righteousness that John performs the baptism. Jesus is baptized. John obliges this command. The heavens are then open. The Spirit of God descends. And God in this baptism makes this very powerful proclamation that John knew. And I wonder who else heard it. I, we don't know who else in uh, the crowd that had gathered. If this was a, a audible voice for all to hear, or if this was a special revelation to John and to Jesus, but but a voice spoke from heaven, God Himself declaring, "This is my beloved Son, that this person named Jesus is not." A man like every other man. He is a man that is unique, a man like no other. He is God incarnate. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God the Son. And he didn't become God the Son through the baptism. You go back to the very beginning, a couple chapters even here in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and we find Jesus has been God from the very beginning. He was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was called Emmanuel, God with us. It's not that He became God. No, He was God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, was Christ, and He was with God and He was God. All things are made by Him. Jesus did, was not a man who was born like you and me. And because of his faithfulness and obedience became a deity, became God. That is heresy. That is false doctrine. That is doctrine that will condemn and does not save. And there are other cults and offshoots of the Christian faith that would proclaim such. And they're not different denominations. They're heresies to be condemned. Jesus is the Son of God from His birth. The baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ gives way to this proclamation by God the Father and even the affirmation of the Holy Spirit coming upon Him an affirmation from the Spirit as well that He is God the Son. He is God incarnate. Even upon the cross at the very end, he remained God the Son. As the earth shook and the sky was darkened and the veil of the temple written to in a crazy story that Matthew records of the graves even being opened, the centurion looks at Jesus at the cross and what does he say? Surely this was the Son of God. He never ceases... To, to have His deity. He, he has always been and will always be God the Son. The mystery of the incarnation as He became God the Man also. He, he took on humanity and, and deity became incarnate. Took on embodied human flesh. He left the glory of the divine, of, of heaven. The glory that was His, rightly, to be born of the Virgin Mary in a, an impoverished family in the middle of nowhere in, in Bethlehem. He's God the Son, and as God the Son, we see testified even in this baptism by John's reaction again that he's sinless. That he was not being baptized here because he was in need of repentance. And that is what, of course, is throwing John the Baptist off. Je- Jesus, why are you wanting to be baptized by this baptism where sinners are coming and a message of repentance and confession of sin? You, you, you're the sinless Son of God. The scriptures are not vague on this fact about the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians five twenty one: For God made him who knew no sin, Jesus knew no sin. God made him to descend for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews chapter four and verse fifteen: For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He, he was he was made a man. He took on human flesh. He experienced the temptations and sufferings and pains of this life. He can sympathize with us in our humanity, in our weaknesses as humans. Yet, it says, but was on all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He never did anything wrong. He lived in perfect obedience to the Father. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. First John chapter 3 and verse 5, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. He came to take away our sins, but in him, in Jesus, God the Son who became man, there is no sin. He is the perfect sinless Son of God. That is a proclamation that is being evidenced in this account of his baptism. But there's more than that. There's a lot more than that. That brings me to a second part of this statement that I believe is being proclaimed through his baptism. Jesus is the sinless son of God who will take the place of sinners. Why did Jesus get baptized? To put it pretty simply, he got baptized because he's the sinless son of God who will take the place of sinners. And in his baptism, what we are hopefully about to see, what I hope to convince you of, is that Jesus is giving a picture of that act in this picture of baptism. As he enters into the waters, as he is baptized in in the place of sinners, not because of his own sin, but to be identified with the sins of all of those people who were around, who were repenting and confessing of their sins, Jesus answered John's hesitancy about baptizing him by saying that his baptiz- baptism was fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That's what Jesus' response was when John saying, "I can't baptize you. I, I, you're, you're Jesus, the sinless Son of God. I am just your forerunner. I'm not worthy to latch your, your sandals." And Jesus says, "No, John, you must do it now." because it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What did Jesus mean by that? What he meant is that his baptism was of the will of the Father. That it was of the will of God the Father that God the Son even began his ministry by this picture and baptism of entering into the stead of sinners for their sake. He would be disobeying God had he not been baptized. He would not be fulfilling all righteousness as the perfect sinless Son of God... Living in our place in His righteousness, we'll get to it in a moment. He, he wouldn't have fulfilled that if he had rejected this leading of God for him to enter into these waters in the place of sinners, authenticating the ministry and message of John the Baptist, and, and giving a picture even in the the beginning of this ministry that he's called to, of the ending of the ministry for the reasoning for which he came. Isaiah chapter fifty three and verse twelve. Says that he, the Messiah, the suffering servant of the Lord, would be numbered with the transgressors. He would be numbered with the sinners. This baptism of Jesus is a foreshadow. Now, go back to the English class. Some of you has a long, long time ago. But public school for English, I didn't know a verb from a noun hardly, but we had to read these stories and you know, what's the foreshadowing elements of the story? What is something in the beginning of the story? that pictures in some way some bigger event that's going to unfold later in the story. It foreshadows what is to come. You realize this baptism of Jesus is a foreshadow of the baptism of death that He has come to fulfill by dying upon a cross and giving His life a ransom for the sins of any and all who come to Him. God is proclaiming in this baptism... That the cross was not plan B. That the cross was not an accident that Jesus just was misunderstood and some things got misconstrued and and out of God's, uh, just in his inability to control things, it it ended up Jesus got crucified. Uh Uh-oh, we screwed up, we messed up. No, that is not how our sovereign God works. You realize God says of Jesus, he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. There was a promise even within the Trinity to redeem all of those who had come to Christ through the atoning work of Jesus upon a cross before God even said, let there be. There is a mystery in that that is deep and profound and beyond our little peanut brains to figure out because we are bound by the second hand of a clock and God is not. So don't try to figure it out. But Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And so he came for an intent purpose, a specific reasoning. And that reasoning was, John recognized it the day after this baptism when he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you go back to his very birth, and they were to call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And you go forward in the ministry of Jesus that we'll look to, and you will find Jesus is, he increasingly works to bring his disciples into this knowledge and understanding that the kingdom of the Messiah ruling and reigning with a rod of iron will come in the future in a second coming. But in this first coming, He's come to fulfill Isaiah 53, where the suffering servant will give His life for the sheep, where He will bear their iniquities where He will die to bear the penalty of their sins. And He has the cross in mind from the very beginning, and He works time and time again to help His disciples understand this. And though they don't get it time and time again, He's going to reveal to them, listen, I'm heading to Jerusalem, and there I will be put to death. There I will be crucified. The reasoning for Jesus' coming is, it's pictured even in the beginning of his ministry through this baptism that this baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that is to come. The Father seeing the obedience of the Son to take the place of sinners, even pictured in this baptism, you realize it's then that he speaks and says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's carrying forth the mission for which I have sent Him. And He sends the Holy Spirit down, and the mission of the Holy Spirit is to carry Him to that cross. And we're going to see that through the life of Jesus, through the empowerment of the Spirit. The Son of God is carried to Calvary to give His life a ransom for your sins and for my sins to pay the penalty of our sins that we might be made right before a holy God. Why was Jesus baptized? So so that this proclamation could be made about Him, even in the beginning of His ministry. And we'll see through His ministry, it's all leading to that ending of His earthly ministry where He is crucified, buried, and raised again. The cross is plan A. The cross is the reason He came. He came to enter the place of sinners. As the sinless son of God. I want to give you two points of application. What does that mean for you and for me now, today? First, you must believe upon Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. Jesus is proclaiming even in this baptism as He announces it as the means to fulfill righteousness, to fulfill all righteousness. What you and I are unable to do, you cannot fulfill all righteousness. You have sinned against the Holy God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even the righteousness now that you produce, which is right, it is good. There is common grace, thank God, and even the worst of sinners can do good things. But you know what the Bible says about that goodness? The righteousness that we present is as filthy rags before a holy God because it's still tainted by your sin. It doesn't undo the sin that you are. It doesn't overcome the sin that you've committed. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's impossible for you to fulfill all righteousness. The beauty of the Gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, is He came to do that which we cannot Bible calls him the second Adam, and some of you may have heard that have been confused by it. What do you mean that he's the second Adam? Well, whereas the first Adam was created in innocency, in a right communion with God, but he sinned, he rebelled. Jesus is the second Adam, born as a sinless man, God incarnate. And where Adam fails in the temptation, we're about to look at it next week, it comes in the next chapter. Where Adam falls in the temptation, Jesus succeeds. He endures. He perseveres. He doesn't fall. He lives a perfect life as the sinless Son of God. Not only as God incarnate, but as a man, as the second Adam, representing us as humanity before a holy God. He fulfilled all righteousness. Righteousness. And He began it there at His baptism. And He continued it through throughout all the ministry. And then He continues it through to the very end, even as He is rejected, even as He is spat upon and mocked, and He cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To the very end, He remains the sinless Son of God, the second Adam, whereby He has a righteousness that you and I need. You can't get it on your, of your own works and of your own doing. It's only in Him. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. you're here thinking by being at church you're going to make yourself justified before God, you're here thinking because you put some money in the offering plate you're going to be justified before a holy God, if you think because you're here committing to live a better life and to do better at being generous and kind to people and being a better father and mother and a better worker at work. And by turning over a new leaf in your life and stop you know, doing the things you know you ought not to be doing. That you're going to justify yourself before a holy God. You are running a fool's errand. It's hopeless. You can't. The beauty of the Gospel is God has done what you cannot through Jesus, living a life of, of sinless perfection in your place, to die upon a death uh, on a cross where He pays the penalty that you and I deserve. An eternity in hell, Jesus bore that wrath due to us at Calvary when He gave His life, a ransom for our sins, that He now can be the means by which sinful man is brought to holy God. He's the mediator. He's the one who can wash away our sins. He's the one who... I love the picture of of us taking off a a stained and dirty robe that's filthy with our sin and iniquity. And, And God placed it at Jesus upon the cross, and Jesus paid for all of that. And if that were all that was done, we'd still be naked before a holy God. We may not have a reason for Him to condemn us, but we have no reason for Him to accept us. The gospel goes further than just the payment of our sins. What God does is He takes that beautiful, perfect, white robe of Jesus, and He clothes us with it so that we now don't just become forgiven nobodies. We become the the saved children of God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, joint heirs with Him for all eternity, given the glories of sonship to pray to Him as Father and to know there's an eternal dwelling place, an eternal home for us there. Why? Because the righteousness of Jesus is ours in Him. You must believe upon Jesus for salvation. Secondly, you should follow Jesus in obedience and believers' baptism. Baptism wasn't just for then and there, it's for here and now. Jesus' earthly ministry, hear this, it begins with baptism and it ends with Jesus telling his disciples to go and to baptize believers of all the nations of the earth. All those who repent and believe, Jesus says, are to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That baptism isn't An option for just the really devout, radical Christians. Like, man, if you're really committed and faithful to Jesus, you should get baptized. No. Baptism is the first step of obedience for every believer, for every Christian, for even an infant in Christ who comes to the Lord Jesus and is saved. Baptism ought to follow. It's the first step of obedience. It is a public proclamation that identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ, and even with this message, only we would word it in past tense because it's happened. When you are baptized, they say it succinctly with Clay and Justin and... In the profession, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. What do they mean by that statement? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Based upon that profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They mean this, if we were to expand it out just a bit more. That Jesus is the sinless Son of God who took my place, a sinner condemned. I believe it. I've turned to Him. I've, I've let go of my sins and my works that I think will justify me. I've believed upon Jesus as Lord and as Savior. And I enter these waters as a believer, knowing this doesn't cleanse me and wash away my sins. Sorry, Carrie Underwood, it's not anything special in the water. The well, water's just a picture. It points back to the cross. It points back to what Jesus did in His death, burial, and resurrection. And it's a picture that we proclaim before the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a believer. I am a sinner condemned unworthy who came to Jesus and got my sins washed away because he paid for it all at Calvary. And it pictures even our death and our burial and our resurrection with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm dead unto sin now and alive unto Christ, a new creation in him to live my life for his name's sake. Have you been baptized? If you're a believer and you're not baptized, it doesn't mean you're going to hell. Salvation's by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it does mean you're not living in obedience to the Lord. And if you're a supposed believer who is ashamed of the Lord and does not want to be baptized, I have great cause to question the genuineness of your faith. Do you really believe if you do, you should be joyful to come before a group of believers and profess sinner saved by grace forgiven by what Jesus did for me the sinless son of God who died for me at Calvary the Ethiopian eunuch was sitting on the side of the road reading Isaiah 53 struggling to know what he was reading and God sent an angel to tell Philip go, go answer this man's questions and Philip came up to the man and said sir do you understand what you're reading Acts chapter 8 and the Ethiopian eunuch responded how can I unless somebody teach me. Somebody show me. And and Philip gave him all the good news about Jesus, it says in Acts chapter 8. Philip told him about what I just told you, that the Son of God lived a perfect life in our place, to die upon a cross in our place, to pay for our sins, and we can have our sins forgiven. Our sins put upon him, and his righteousness placed upon us. And you know what the Ethiopian eunuch's response was? See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? wanted to follow the Lord. He did so in his heart through faith and believed upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the next step was, I want to be publicly known by this radical salvation that's been given to me. I beg of you, if you're here and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, don't just mark it on a connection card, but get it dealt with now. Come forward in this invitation we're about to enter into and, and go with a pastor and leave here knowing Jesus is Lord and Savior. And if you're here and you need to be baptized, you never follow the Lord and Believer's baptism, you can come forward during this invitation and we'll we'll have a conversation about it and get it scheduled. Or you can just simply take that connection card in front of you and there's a, there's a check mark for I want to be baptized. Write your name on it and I'll get with you this week and we can talk about baptism and set up a, a, a time and an upcoming service for you to be baptized. Don't leave here still walking in disobedience to the Lord. See, here's water. What what, what prevents me from being baptized? Heavenly Father, we come to You, Lord. I pray You work in this moment. Convict where conviction is needed. Give encouragement and strength. Boldness where that is needed. Work in response to Your Word to save the lost, to edify Your body grow believers or do all that you do for Christ's glory through your word through your church Lord if there be anyone here who's lost I do beg even now that they would fall under the weight of their conviction they would in their brokenness and humility turn to you call out to you to save them because of Christ and what he did at Calvary and they will find Lord you are a God who saves you are a God who delights in the forgiveness of sinners when they repent when they turn and they believe upon this work out right now in his holy name.